I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Gym Rats and Joints, the podcast. I'm so happy to be joined today by a couple of great friends of mine and colleagues, people I'm going to be working with on the upcoming CEBL, Canadian Elite Basketball League season. The games are going to be on CBC, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But of course, we got to start in with uh, the craziness that is the NBA playoffs. I thought the first round was a little bit pedestrian, but things really picked up in the second round. And as, as we're into the Western Conference Finals, a lot of things are already happening in Phoenix, Arizona. So happy to be joined by Peter Rutgazer and Joe Rasso. Peter is going to be the play-by-play for the second straight year of CEBL on CBC. Joe is the director of operations of the CEBL and will be the color game analyst during the broadcast. Guys, great to see you. I cannot wait to get going. I thought we would start things a little early today and uh, basically kick off the season in the CEBL. Thanks for being here. Uh, thanks a lot for having us, Dan. Great being here. Good, guys. It's it's so good to see your faces and to hear your voices. And, uh, you know, I'm really excited to get to Edmonton this weekend for uh, the, the first game on CBC. Let's start, though, with game two, the Western Conference Finals. I was up all night watching. It felt like the game that would never end. I mean, I think it was... It was three hours, uh, you know, for a game that didn't even go to overtime. Uh, Peter, what, what were your what were your first thoughts on maybe the the winning play by DeAndre Ayton? Well, to be quite honest with you, Dan, I, I turned the TV off. I went to bed. I thought the game was over. To be quite honest with you, until I saw the highlights this morning that they, you know, they were able to, to pull it off. I, I, I thought it was unbelievable. But I, I'm not shocked. This this uh, Phoenix team, they found a way to win. Uh, they seem to be a very cohesive unit, and I, I I don't think they're out of any game. And they're doing it without Chris Paul, which is just uh, simply amazing. Joe, how about you from the coaching perspective? Man, I, I thought it was a great game. You know, big clutch plays, Paul George down the stretch. But to me, it was that last play. It was the lob. And every coach, you know, has got their own theory on how to do things. And when DeMarcus Cousins was on the ball and I wanted him underneath the basket and I saw the lob coming with under two seconds, I was like, oh, no, no. And so everybody's it's a great play. And Monty's prepared. And it was a great, great pass by Crowder. But I'm questioning Ty Lue today and how he played those last two seconds. And um, But that's basketball. You, you think of the last play. There's a pile of other great plays in between, but that's the one that sticks in my mind right now because the Clippers needed to steal that game. They needed to take that game last night. Well, and they, they had the game. I mean, they, they made big shots down the stretch. Paul George, playoff P, hits two clutch shots, and he puts – 
He puts the Clippers up 103-102 with seven seconds left. And I'm, I'm tweeting out, playoff P has finally arrived. And then the oldest, the oldest screw-up in basketball, he misses both free throws, which sets up Phoenix to be, to be in that position. And I think although it was a great play by the Suns to win the game, and that's those are the, the proper headlines. I have to feel like in Los Angeles, they're looking at this as yet another choke and another curse in, in the L.A. Clippers history. Man, I'm a Buffalo Braves fan, so this is tight to me. This is close to me. Um, I just I just think it's karma. I just don't think you give yourself your own nickname. And Playoff P has killed himself. Like, it's just a terrible nickname, and it's hurt him desperately. Uh, so I, I I got a soft spot for the Clippers just because of my Braves connection. And, and you know, Paul George really – picked up his play, you know, when Kawhi went, went down, um, he really picked up his play and, and it's a shame because, you know, he was, uh, starting to play very well and took the team on his back. And he did that a couple of times this season, you know, when Kawhi uh, wasn't in the lineup. I mean, he looked like the guy who was supposed to be playoff P so it's unfortunate. And that's where I, I, I switched off the game at that point. Cause I figured he's going to the line. This game's done. I'm going to bed. Right. So, um, you know, um, it's very unfortunate. Like Joe said, they needed to win that game. I mean, it's going to be an uphill battle here now. Is that when you turned it off, Peter, at, at the free throw line? Because I thought for I, I thought for sure. Okay, this is this is done now. <laughs> well, you, you spared yourself another at least thirty minutes. Yeah, because there were there were so many reviews, so many calls that were being made on tape. Some of which I didn't even understand, like the the uh, the out of bounds where it went off. Booker's hand, but they were saying it was forced by the defensive player, and but that isn't the that's the rule, but not the spirit of the rule. I, I I was really I was really surprised, Joe. When 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 George missed the two free throws, I thought uh, ESPN had the great close up of him walking back to the bench, and you could see him cursing himself. Like I, I thought he was going to punch himself in the face. He was so upset over missing the free throws. What, what do you even say in the huddle to the to that player and to your team when you just know you can't you have to make those free throws at least one of them to put the other team in a situation where the bet you know where they can tie with a, an alley you play like that? Yeah, I think the first thing you got to do is failure is not fatal right now, and you got to you got to get past it. As tough as that sounds, like. Him missing those two free throws wasn't fatal to them winning the game. They just had to concentrate and do a better job now on that play at the very end. Like, yeah, Paul George missed the two free throws, and it could have been a three-point game, and then all of a sudden there's something different that Phoenix has to do. But they still had the game won. And all these variables had to happen, and Phoenix makes it happen. Um, so I think in the timeout, I think the coach has got to talk about, okay, we got to get past that. Nobody, nobody talked to, nobody talked to Paul George about that. Nobody even mentioned it. It's like, come on, we'll get the next play. We'll get the next play. And then they'll talk about it today. But at that time, there's no, you can't reference that at all. Well, if, if they don't come back and win this series, you know, you, you said it, Joe, like this playoff P nickname is, it really is starting to bite him in the ass right now. You know, Peter, the, the thing that really got me about this series before it started was 
the omissions of Kawhi Leonard and Chris Paul. And, you know, Leonard had that knee injury in the, uh, the second round series. And, and, and it was amazing that they, they won games, I guess it was six and seven without him. And, and here he is not playing in this series. And Chris Paul is out in, in the COVID protocol. I, I guess the question is, ha, does, is there some of the shine lost on this series with the fact that these two elite players, two future Hall of Famers are, are not available? Uh, it would be good if they were in there. But, I mean, that, that game last night, I mean, I mean that's pretty good basketball. I mean, it would be nice to have star or star players in there. I know the league, that that's what they want. They want to have their stars on display. Um, but uh, you saw some great performances from uh, players that stepped up, you know, in the absence of, of, of real good players. So uh, you're not going to get much better basketball than what you saw last night. I mean – It'd probably be better if you had uh, those two gentlemen in, in the lineup playing, but uh, that was pretty good basketball without them. Well, I, I get, and I, I hear what you're saying. You know, you have a guy like Cameron Payne who just stepped up and I guess he was playing point guard for Phoenix and running the show and him, Phoenix, the team, they're all kind of holding their breath until, until CP gets back. But I, I, I don't know. I, I, I feel like I, I don't, you hear about this asterisk, and it just feels like with the the injuries that have really decimated the the playoffs this year, you know, Harden didn't play for Brooklyn, Ka- you know, Kawhi not playing for the Clippers yet they still won the last two games in in the last series. So it it it's really interesting. Joe, did did you think during the year that the Suns might be the team coming out of the West? You know, I, I thought they were the second best team. I thought the Jazz were the really? best team with all the parts, and I thought the I thought the Suns were too young. But that's the Chris Paul factor. He makes he takes a young group of guys and he makes them experienced and play well. You know, Booker last night had a terrible first half, five turnovers, and then all of a sudden regroups and comes out and plays like a veteran, uh, overcomes a terrible first half. That's the Paul. You know, to me, that's, uh, you know, them doing it. And Monty, and Monty's done a great job with that group. So I would have thought they were the second best overall team in, in the firm of team. But when it came to talent, it was the Lakers and the Clippers. Like, those are my, those are my first pick if, all, if everybody's healthy. But we find out in, in, in all leagues, and even when the Raptors won, you know, the world championship, you know, it, it's about being available. And it's about who's healthy at the end. And who can be on the floor? And I think that's the key part right now of everybody overcoming these obstacles and getting where they're at now. So it's a credit to the Suns to you know to have guys like Cameron Payne step up. Uh, so I, I, I'm excited for them. That's a team that I like just because they're so young. And, you know, when they were in the bubble last year, they played phenomenal basketball. I mean, they didn't make the playoffs, but I think this is, you know – this is a, a byproduct of what they did in the bubble last year, to be quite honest with you. And then, you know, you have a CP3 with his experience. So um, you're seeing a team that's really matured in, in this season. You're absolutely right, Pete. I believe they were 8-0 in the yes, bubble. Yes, they were. Yeah. It was almost to the detriment of, of the entire league that the Suns didn't make the playoffs because they would have been, you know, they would have been the young guns. And that the Chris Paul acquisition, I think a lot of people thought, he couldn't do it one more time, but based on the regular season, this might have been one of Chris Paul's best jobs. 
to the point where here they are playing without him and all those those lessons have been learned. Um, but you, you touched on it, Joe, that like Cameron Payne stepping up. I can't think of an NBA champion that didn't have somebody kind of step up and deliver an added punch that the opponents just just weren't ready for because you weren't expecting it. Uh, from the TV perspective, guys, I loved when ESPN rolled in the flashback of Steve Nash when he when he had the the bloody nose in comparison to yes. Devin Booker having a similar in, uh, injury during the game. And of course, these guys are like, "Stitch me up, Nick! Like, get it fixed as quickly as possible so I can get get back in there." I thought that was an amazing moment, and to, you know, to show it in the non HD video. And I, I absolutely remember watching that game. Uh, when when Nash had the nose, I, I I was it the San Antonio was it against San Antonio? They do you remember? Do you yeah. remember Charlie? San Antonio? I'm pretty sure at center yeah. court, and uh, and that's when was, the guys left the bench. That's right, and it was it was it Rob Robert Ori who hit him in the face, or was it a more random play? I, I can't I can't remember. No, no, Ori I know kind of body checked him in one game, yeah. and I remember thinking that was just the Spurs their uh, championship pedigree knowing what they could resort to in order to win that series when they clearly weren't the better team. And it, it's funny that, you know, that the Nash Suns never did uh, even get to the finals. And now here they are and they're, I mean, they are on the cusp of it. And it looks like one of the great Phoenix teams of all time at this point, speaking of Nash, I was rooting for the Nets. And I thought Coach Steve Nash was going to get there. I thought the triumvirate of Harden, Irving, and Durant was unbeatable. I said that from the beginning of the year, even before they had Harden. Hell, I was saying this two years ago when when they first signed Harden and, and Irving, and or sorry, when they first signed Durant and Irving, and Durant wasn't even going to play that whole year. I'm like, watch out for them in 21. What do you, Pete? What do you think happened? What happened to the Nets? Is it as easy to say as they got injured and lost? Uh, I think it, it, the injuries. I mean, I, I don't think they had that starting lineup together for any more than five games. I mean, I don't know what the number of games that all three of them, uh, the big three, uh, played together. And it wasn't a lot of games. And I just think, you know, those guys coming in and out of the lineup, um, uh, you know, there, there wasn't a, a enough cohesiveness, uh, I think. Uh, I think in this series that they had uh, Joe Harris not really stepping up really hurt them. They, you needed somebody else besides, you know, KD to step up. And I don't think they got anybody else. And, you know, James Harden, I mean, he was on, on one leg in, in this whole series. So um, uh, the lack of anybody else stepping up really hurt them. I, I, and it, it's injuries. Those three gentlemen together, healthy, playing, I, I just don't see how Milwaukee beats them. Joe, do you, do you share yeah, that? Segment? Yeah, absolutely. I, I started, with, started with them. They were, they were snake bitten. Like what people don't talk about is a Spencer Didwitty injury. Like he is a great, great player. He's going to be a $20 million free agent. And you take him out of the mix because he was the original Brooklyn net. He was the guy. And you lose Levert, okay, but you've got him still. Uh, man, they just were snake bit all the way through when it came to injuries, especially down at the very end. And then, 
Yeah, Joe Harris. You know, he's a great regular season shooter. He reminded me of Kyle Korver. I'm just, I'm, I was going nuts the other day. You know, knocking out. You need to make those shots in the playoffs. And he is, you know, unfortunately, he had his opportunities. And they needed one more person to step up. They needed the Terrence Mann. They needed the Cameron Payne. And Joe Harris could have been that, but he wasn't there. And KD was absolutely off the charts, sensational. Um, but they needed something else. And, uh, you know, I think they're going to be, they're the favorite for next year just because they get these guys back. Dinwiddie, I don't think he's going to be a big time free agent. And, you know, not, not enough was mentioned about his absence. And I think yeah, he's the one guy that really would have helped them throughout the season. Yeah, and that was early on in the season that he he, he got hurt. Uh, the one thing I, I want to know, and I, I said, you know, they did get, they did get hardened, but, Lavert, I mean, is that going to come back to bite them? Do you think? Well, I, I look if, if you have if you have a, a roster of a help like Durant, Irving, assuming everyone's healthy, Durant, Irving, Dinwiddie, and Lavert, I would have I would have rolled the dice with that with that lineup. It's almost like the Dinwiddie injury maybe forced them to trade for Harden. Yeah. But, what, but I mean, but somewhere down the, I mean, he's a pretty good, uh, pretty good player. I mean, and I'm wondering if, you know, um, by making that trade, that, uh, that that hurts you down the line because he's an excellent player, hard, and I don't know what his contract situation is. I mean, he's a great player. There's no doubt about it. But does that bite you in the in the behind somewhere down the line, giving up a good young player like that? Yeah, I think when you're the Lakers and now you're the Nets and maybe even the new Knicks eventually, I think you can always dump into free agency and you'll always get players. You don't have to build from within. You can always build from outside, bringing guys in because of who you are and where you are. Uh, A little bit different than some of these rosters. Like the Phoenix roster is Chris Paul, but it's built at home. Like we forget DeAndre Ayton was the number one pick. pick. Um, and, and, And that, so everybody's a little different and the windows are different. Uh, I thought the Nets wanted to go for it this year and their window of opportunity, maybe like next year, we'll, we'll, they'll have to go at it again. Um, everybody's built differently. You got to wonder how, how much of those 49, 17 and 10 games are left for, for Durant, who skill wise, I think is the best player in the world, but there, there were a lot of demands put on him in, in that series. And for me, the question is, is going to be next year, Durant, Irving, Harden, do you even play them in the regular season? Do you, do you just hold them until until the playoff round? And it's interesting, you know, if they sweep Boston, which they should have, you know, maybe that's one less game that Irving and Harden have to play, and maybe that carries over into the next round and, and the, the chance of injury is, is lessened. I don't know. It's it's amazing to me that Brooklyn is not going to be in the NBA Finals this year. I, I could not I could not have foreseen that, and I certainly don't know anyone who predicted a Milwaukee Atlanta Eastern Finals. Joe, who who do you like in in this most unpredictable East Finals that we've seen in years? I think the favorites have to be Milwaukee, just because they they they've expected to be there and they've been planning to be there and. But Atlanta has gone from a 60-win team with Budenhauser being their coach to a complete rebuild to a championship team again. 
they've done a great job. So part of me is cheering for Atlanta. Like I, I, I just because Nate McMillan and the, and that whole rebuild of the team and and and, and given the the reins to Trey Young, like what he did in the gardens to me is still even better than what, you know, he did in the last series. Like, uh, you know, he, his, his coming out party at the gardens uh, was outstanding. So I think momentum is with the Hawks because they have nothing to lose a little bit of pressure with the bucks right now, because the expectations have been so high and even people wanted Budenhauser fired two games ago. Uh, they said he couldn't coach, and all of a sudden now here he is, you know, having a chance, you know, to get to the Eastern Conference Finals. So uh, I, I think I'm going to cheer for Atlanta, but I think if I was going to put money down, I think I'd put it on the Bucks. <laughs> I, I, I think what they were able to do down the stretch in Game Seven, it kind of frees them a little bit to realize that they 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 can get over the hump, something that they haven't been able to do. Um, so I, I I think that helps, but. You know, in terms of Atlanta, I mean, I mean, nobody saw Atlanta doing this, but uh, that relationship that Nate McMillan has with Trey Young, I mean, uh, having a guy that was a pretty good player in his own right at the time and knows the position very well, having Trey Young, uh, having a coach like that for him to lean on, and uh, they seem to have a pretty good relationship. That's that's really helped him out, but. Um, I, I think Milwaukee. I think they've been here a number of times before, you know, expected to do uh, great things like Joe said. And uh, I think getting through Brooklyn and being able to win that seventh game and being able to do the things they did down the stretch, I think that's going to give them confidence, momentum going into this series. Yeah, the, the Bucks really exercised some demons by winning that series, didn't they? I mean, going back to the East Finals in 29, 2019, when they were two, they were up 2-0 against Toronto Raptors, and the Raptors stormed back and, and won four straight games. And I don't think the Bucks had been the same ever since basically losing the game three in that mm-hmm. spot. I don't think they ever recovered from it until those gutsy game six and game seven wins. Hell, even even the game three win over Brooklyn, I think that was the 86-83 game um, when, when I'm like, yeah, Brooklyn is sweeping this. I think that really showed that the Bucks turned it around. And, and Joe, I find it interesting that you, you bring up Budenholzer there. And, of, of course, he was formerly the Atlanta coach, and now here he is coaching against them. He has taken so much heat. And I feel like the big knock on him is that he's he's not even reactive. He just doesn't change what he's doing. But – can can you explain some things that Milwaukee started to do differently? I mean, for me, on the surface, Antetokounmpo stopped shooting threes, and I think that helped them out considerably. But were there tactical, um, you know, tactical things that that Budenholzer came up with that helped Milwaukee win this? I think ultimately their shot chart changed, and you said it with him taking the threes. They scored inside. Brooklyn was weak inside and, you know, getting guys, getting to the rim, diving to the rim, attacking the basket, Drew, Drew Holiday attacking the basket and to, to, to take the Kupo attacking the basket. Those that's where they were better. And then they started posting up and playing a little bit outside of that. And then letting their, the real, letting their real shooters, Middleton mid range, jump shot, deep three, They're letting their shooters shoot the ball. But their attack was different. I think they just put an emphasis on Lopez inside, 
And then eventually Lopez outside because the inside was, you know, they were scoring inside. All of a sudden Lopez is open and he killed them, in, in, especially in the first half in, 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 against Brooklyn. So I think his strategy, very, very, not, not real complicated. All he just did was, listen, guys, we got to score at the basket. And I think the shot charts change from the games that they lost and the games that they won. You know, it's funny because I think it was after game one, uh, game one or game two, that Charles Barkley just went off on uh, Budenholzer and said, I mean, this guy can't make any adjustments in game. Like they need to get the ball. And like he kept saying, get the ball into the paint. You know, you're not you're not making any of these three. So, you know, they they did eventually make the uh, make the adjustment. But um, um, yeah, I mean, and here's a guy that he was the first choice to be the Raptors head coach, I, I believe, when uh you know, so after Dwayne it's funny Casey. how what's that? After Dwayne Casey left, yeah. So I, it's funny how how things work out. You know, in the end, he was a coach of the year in the NBA, coaching the That's Hawks. True. Yeah, <laughs> Sam Mitchell was coach of the year one year too. Absolutely, yeah. Don't, don't you love guys when the when the coaches listen to what the TV guys have to say? <laughs> that's that's always uh that's always a, a favorite part for me um i mean last uh last question I'd, I'd like to bring up in the nba and then we can go on to some other exciting uh basketball topic where do the philadelphia 76ers go from here P- peter let's start with you mb is is all world one of the best players in the game possibly revolutionizing the, the five position, if that even exists anymore. But I feel like Ben Simmons was finally exposed to the basketball world. I feel like everything that people are saying about him now, I already knew. I don't understand why everyone doesn't. I don't. Yeah, sir. Yeah, I don't know why this is being brought up. I mean, this has always been the case. You know, he, he can't shoot the ball. I and mean, he if, if you're the starting point guard, you can't you can't shoot the ball, and how can you have the the ball in his hands in, in crunch time? And I remember in the preseason, he played a preseason game, and I, I think he shot he, he hit a three, and everybody made a big deal about this. You know, he hit a you know he hit a a, a three. Oh, his, his game has changed, and um, I, I don't know how you can continue on with a, a point guard that that can't shoot the ball. But the question is. Is there any team out there that wants to take on a player like this? You know, you, you're probably in a better situation to try to somehow rectify uh, the problem, you know, in-house to like keep him and try to uh, somehow make him work with them to become a – because I don't think you can make a trade that's going to give you any value. Joe, what do you think? Well, I, I think it's a team that panicked. Publicly, they lost faith. Doc Rivers' comments at the end of the game about, you know, not answering the questions, can Simmons lead a team to a championship? You know, I think not purposely, but I think emotionally, Doc and and Joel may have put him under the bus, and he's the scapegoat. Sometimes it's about playing in Philly. Like, Philly's like playing hockey in Toronto. Uh, People are tough on you. Like Markel Fultz, look at, you know, look at his redevelopment once he went to Orlando. Ben Simmons has warts. We knew that coming in. The problem is they haven't gotten better. They just gotten bigger. He's a worse he's a worse shooter now, less confident shooter now, less confident free throw shooter now than he was when he came into it. Um, but at the same time, if they panic and they sell low, I think it's worth the buy. 
if you can get a guy like Ben Simmons low, uh, the, he's still the number one pick, but you got to redevelop it. You got, you've got to change a lot of things and play to his strength. Um, Philly just had too many people sitting back, not doing enough work. Like I, I look at Markel Fultz and think, can somebody player development somewhere down the road did a better job in Orlando than they did there? And somebody in player development down the road is going to do a better job with Ben Simmons than they did in Philadelphia. But I think his days are in Philly just by, by those comments the other day. Can he – I'll ask Joe, because your coach, can you rectify a player's, you know, uh, um, shooting situation? I mean, he, he he's not a very good shooter. Can that be solved at this late date in his career? Now, the, I mean, he's an NBA player. Yeah, he's not going to be a three-point shooter, but he's still – he's got to be able to get back to even the stuff he made in college. He was a pretty good mid-range shooter in college. Like, I, I see now that he's not playing for Australia this summer. But – that probably would have been the best thing I think for him is to go join the boomers and be around people that admire you and like you and, you know, support you and have a real good Olympic run without having the pressure of the Sixers. Um, he's decided not to do that. Uh, but I think that's where he goes. He's got to go win his confidence back. Like they stole like right now, his confidence is stolen. That's the part he's got to build back up. And, um, uh, I think he's still got it. He's got talent. The shot, we can work on where he shoots from. But the fact that he can guard five positions, that he can he's seven feet tall, he can attack the basket, there's lots and lots of positives there. Uh, and he just needs – and he can dish it off. So, again, I, I think someone's going to do well if they buy low. Well, he's seven feet tall. He's incredibly athletic. He does have vision – Sometimes I, I wonder if he is aggressive enough or if he really even knows what it takes to win, especially at high-pressure games. Joe, I love that you brought up Markel Fultz. You know, that draft pick could have been Jason Tatum. Um, I, I think that there's issues with the 76ers that go back years, and it doesn't, it doesn't help that they've now lost in – incredibly disappointing fashion in three straight playoff years, including two crushing game seven defeats. Yeah. Um, and also Doc Rivers, he's no, he's no uh, stranger to game seven losses either. So a real, I, I find the 76ers a, a fascinating story in a, in a team, in the NBA, and it'll be interesting to see what happens there. We we've, we've already covered 30 minutes of NBA playoff coverage. It, it goes by so fast. I love talking basketball. I love that uh, the guys that I'm going to be producing this summer, Peter Ruckazer and Joe Razzo are here. It's so great to be talking to you guys in this light. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to be talking about what brought the three of us together in the first place, the Canadian elite basketball league, which tips off this week. So please stick around. We'll, we'll be back right after this. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. 
Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back, Jim Rats and Joints. Dan Gladman here. You can find us on Twitter at Jim Rats Podcast. Um, Peter Rutgazer, you can find him on Twitter at Pete Rutgazer. And Coach Rasso is Joe Rasso's Twitter handle. These are the gentlemen, Peter and Joe, who are going to be calling the games for the CEBL, Canadian Elite Basketball League, on CBC, Canadian Broadcast Corporation. Um, I am in the fortunate position of producing these gentlemen. Amy Audibert will be the sideline reporter. So we kind of uh, bring back, we, we put the band back together from what we had in, in the league's 2020 summer series. Um, I'm so looking forward to uh, live Canadian basketball in Canada, in domestic arenas, Canadian cities, with some fans able to be in attendance to watch. I think this is a, a huge story in Canada. Um, and I just love what this league brings, you know, 80% Canadian rosters, the ELAM ending to, to finish games off. And, you know, the best part of it is, is we get to do the television of it. So guys, I, I kind of want to do a bit of a, maybe a season preview with you. And, and Peter, why don't I start with you to maybe give us a, a, a general um, outlook of this league that, that tips off this week on Thursday, June 24th. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the third year, now that they're, they're back in their, their cities, not in the bubble, I mean, I, I think if you, you get on social media and go to some of these teams and, and take a look at their social media, there's a lot of excitement in these cities um, for the games. I, I just talked to Jermaine Small yesterday, and, I mean, he he's jacked up. He's ready to go. Um, I talked to um, Coach Schmidt yesterday as well. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's an exciting brand of basketball. It's great to see, you know, uh, all these Canadians and to uh, – look at their history and what, what they've been able to do. And they're playing pro in, in, in Europe. I mean, it, it's a phenomenal league. And, and you've got seven real strong franchises in this league, soon to be uh, an eighth franchise in, in Montreal. So uh, it's a nice little league. It's not the NBA. It's not the Toronto Raptors. But I, I think, uh, you know, fans are going to enjoy this. And they had a, a record number of, of viewers last year to watch these games. So um, I think it's, it's only going to get better for this league. Joe, in, go ahead, Joe. No, no, I, I'm go ahead. I'm ready. Oh, I was going to say, in addition to being uh, the analyst on the games on CBC, you're also the director of operations of the league. I, I'd love to hear you put into into words the opportunity that this league um, offers to players, to front office people, to to managers, to you know, uh, people who are working into being athletic trainers. I mean, literally every job on a basketball team is covered in these seven and soon to be eight franchises. Can you speak to the opportunities that it, it provides to Canadians all over the place? Yeah, more than opportunities, it's dreams come true. We were the only country that didn't have a domestic league. And now we've developed a domestic league at a time where our domestic players can come back and play. We've got great players, a lot of great Canadians, but people in Canada haven't had a chance to see them play for a long time because they went to university in the States. They played pro over in Europe. Now they get this opportunity to be here. And then at the same time, people across the country get the chance to see it on CBC. 
we've got students of sports management programs that are in all our teams, all, all our front offices. We've got people that are making careers and doing some great things. Uh, we talked about the social media. The fact that this league has jumped up in the forefront of getting out on, on the court before anyone else, uh, doing things like even this week, contracts in Bitcoin. Like that's yeah. you know unheard of. And then, but I think that to me, this is a dream come true. And what we've got is a league. And I keep telling that I talked to wrestling players yesterday. And I said, what we've got is a league with great domestic players and our imports are constantly improving. But we have, this is the most athletic domestic FIBA league in the world. And it's because our Canadians right now are imports overseas. When they come home, they're the domestic players. So we may not be the biggest league in the world, but we are definitely the most athletic FIBA league in the world, in my opinion. Well, that, that's that's a great way to put it. I mean, these are Canadians, but it's it's almost like every team is an all-star team when you look at where they've been playing during you know the, the other part of the year. They're playing in, in these top leagues around the world, especially Europe. Peter, let, let's start with an import player um, who clearly is has been the best player in the league for the the inaugural two season that I'm talking about Xavier Moon of, of the Edmonton Stingers he's the the uh the league MVP both years he's the finals MVP yeah. uh last season in the bubble um what you know are we going into this year expecting more of the same is he the favorite to be the best player in his Edmonton the favorite to win the championship well, I mean, they've got seven players, I believe, coming back from last season. So they've got cohesiveness. And, um, I mean, he's just – and Joe and I saw it last year. We all saw it last year. Just his speed. Uh, I mean, he's the fastest guy in this league. Uh, he, he makes plays at, at, at pace. Um, he could shoot the ball. Uh, and, and then having all these other guys coming back, like you got Kamba coming back. Uh, you've got uh, – uh, Deca Peter McNeely coming back. You got seven of these guys. Uh, Jordan Baker. Um, right now, I, I would I would suggest that they're they're the favorite. They've got cohesiveness. As a matter of fact, Jermaine Small said we we decided just to have a short training camp because I've got guys that know uh, the system. They know what to expect, and I, he had guys over the last couple of weeks coming back from Europe from their uh, from their leagues overseas, so he didn't want to run them ragged. But he says uh, I, I'm just in a real good position that. These guys, seven seven of these guys, they know what to expect, you know, when when they when they hit the court. So I, I just like their cohesiveness and, and the fact that they're bringing back players. Uh, and, and, and you know, and he's got six players that he's been with since day one, since he took over the over the team. So um, that's a, a you know, I think Joe would would speak to that when you have, you know, you're not um, trying to fill roles or um, you know uh, bring players in a bunch of new players, and it, it just makes your job as a head coach so much easier. And, and Joe, um, in watching the the recent documentary of, of the 2020 sum, Summer Series, our game, one thing that really struck me about the Stingers and their championship was how dedicated they were to winning it and how much they wanted to win that championship. And you, you saw it in the celebration. You know, there there weren't, you know, there were no, there was no home court. There was, there were no fans in the stands, it was on TV, but you could see that winning this championship and holding that incredible trophy, which I held once and couldn't believe how heavy it was, but uh, 
Joe, it, would it be considered, you know, is it, if somebody else wins this year, will that be considered an upset? Only because I think Edmonton is set to host the championship. And I think that's going to give them a chance. They're the one team in the league right now that can plan for the end because they know they're going to be there. And uh, so I think that gives them the advantage. And this is a league that's very fluid. You know, where we're teams, the rosters will change, not just because of injury like the NBA, but it'll change because Trey Bell Haynes is with the national team. Good things are happening. It'll change because we'll allow certain players to go to the NBA Summer League. Uh, it'll change because there might be, you know, if there's like a university game, some of our players will move. So you have to be fluid as you move along, and the rosters change a little bit. And even some of the rosters going into opening day aren't filled because some of the players are still coming back. Uh, so you have to have some long-range plans and short-range plans, but I think Edmonton is the one team that has a long-range plan, and that, that's predetermined. So, yeah, they've got to be the favorites. But they had the best Americans last year, and Travis Daniels is now in Saskatchewan. And that will be a huge difference because he may have been the best all-around big man in our game last year because he was so good from inside and out. And, you know, talking to Coach Small yesterday, he, he you know, touching on what Joe said there, not having Daniels, it's going to be – it's going to hurt them. But he feels that bringing in Brady Skeens and bringing in Marlon Johnson, those are two guys that are really get after it defensively. He feels that will make up for it. So only time – we'll see. Another thing that Joe touched on, you know, the, the, the league, they clearly understand that they're here to develop players. When I talked to Coach Smith yesterday, uh, yesterday uh, young uh, Trey uh, Duval, who played for Duke and has played a couple of years of pro, and uh, Lindell Wigington, he said, we're here to help these guys get to the next level. You know, they, they realize we're going to help them, you know, get on an NBA roster. So they, they clearly know what, what their role is, and they're trying to do everything they can to help two young players like that, which is great to, great to see when you acknowledge what you are as a league, you know. Talk about um, the Elam ending a little bit. And for those who might not know what the term is, in the CEBL, at the four-minute mark of the fourth quarter, the clock goes off. And a final score is set. So let's say uh, there's 356 on the clock. Um, Edmonton is leading Hamilton 92-88. to And now the score is set first to 100 wins. So there's no clock. There's not going to be as many late game uh, intentional fouls, putting people on the free throw line and really slowing the game down. As that, as the Elam ending and the CEBL is really the first pro league in the world to take this on. What, what kind of, what kind of impact is that ultimately going to have on the audience when it, you know, when it, it clicks in that this is a new way of determining the outcome of a game. I think right off the bat, you, we talked about it at the beginning of the podcast. Last night's game took three hours. Peter, Sorry. you went to bed on the free throws. You were <laughs> like I, ahead of time. You weren't ready to invest three hours. Yeah, the Elam ending determines that the game is two hours long. Like once that clock goes off and we go to a set time, we didn't have a game all last year that went more than two hours. So you know what your investment of time is. And I think that's really important to, for the audience to know that up front, uh, how long the game is going to be. And I think the other part of it is 
with the Elam ending, you're not going to play your bench as much at the end of the game because you're looking, even if you've got a big lead, you don't want to mess around with the score. So all of a sudden the fans get entertained by having the better players on the floor more. That's what they paid. You know, that's what they want to see. They want to see the better players. They want to see Xavier Moon finish the game, not just start the game. And I think the Elam ending does that too. Um, and I love the fact that it ends on a score. Somewhere along the way, someone's going to make the winning basket every game this year, be it a three, be it a dunk, be it a two-point field goal, a free throw, a goaltending call. Like we had one of those last year. Someone's going to score the winning basket, and I think that's really, really important. And, you know, Joe, uh, we mentioned a couple of times in our broadcast last year, you really notice a difference when that clock is shut off. You know, like the pace and the intensity rises even more because now you don't have to worry about, okay, there's two minutes left in the game. We've got to do this right away. You know, we got to make this play right away. There, there seems to be uh, a calmness over, especially the teams that are trailing. Okay, the clock is off. Let's just make some plays here and, and get back in the game and win the game. I, I, I don't know if you – I think we talked about that a number of times. There were games where, where teams were trailing and they, they, they just – it was like a switch. You know, they just played more calm, more loose, more relaxed, and, and it would make the, the finishes really exciting in a lot of cases. The greatest comeback in sports, and sports psychologists can make millions of dollars if they ever figured this out, is when teams stop playing to win and start playing not to lose. Right. And the Elam ending tests you every game. Are you playing to win or are you playing not to lose? Or are you going to take a chance, a hero ball? A three-point shot wins us the game, but it's not a good shot. And then last year we had one of those situations where a team that should have won and would have won in regulation time lost because some of the decisions out there, somebody wanted to hit the game winner instead of somebody wanted their team to win. You're talking about the Hamilton game. I'm talking about a playoff, yeah. And and I'm thinking that kind of creeped in. And I know that haunts some of the coaches because that's a growth process. We had to learn how to win in Elam time, not just how to win. Yeah, And it's funny, um, the coach with uh, Fraser Valley, I can't remember his name from last season. What's that? Kyle Julius? Yes, Kyle Julius. You know, we I talked to him before the tournament and asked him, what do you think about the Zelam ending? And he goes, he goes, well, you know, this, the league wants to do it, so I've, I've got to figure it out. And then after that game, I, I stopped him in the hall and I asked him, hey, what do you think of the Zelam ending? I go, yeah, I like it, right? He, with, a, he, with a grin on his face, you know, and then he, he, he chuckled and he said, yeah, I'm getting used to it. I can see, you know, um, I can see how uh, this would be good, good for the league and, um yeah, you know, it's just something I, I have to get used to. But in that game, Joe, I mean, um, Hamilton, like you said, they were trying to play hero ball a little bit, and and, and Fraser Valley, they, they they played it they played it perfectly in that Elam ending. Yeah, absolutely, and I and I think that's exciting. And you don't have to like sometimes it's great. Overtime sounds great, but some of the worst basketball played <laughs> is in overtime. And, and like fatigue, the other night watching Milwaukee, the Nets, it was a fatigue factor. Who's going to last the longest? With Elam time, you are invested in that time. Someone's going to win within a, a certain period. And fatigue won't play as much of a role as it does there. And you'll have less players fouling out, hopefully. And therefore, your best players end up winning the game. Well, it's great for television producers as well because you know – when the show is going off the air, you know how much time you right. have 
have to worry about overages. And um, look, I, I, and this is, this is what I love about doing a podcast with a couple of TV guys. You guys are bringing up so much stuff that I want to respond to. I can't even remember it all. But one thing I wanted to say, what I like about Elam ending is it does kind of bring it back to that playground ball shirts versus skins. And you're all like, you're, you know what score you need to attain to win. And yeah, and and that's what you're going for. And really nothing else matters because your natural instinct is to want to win the game. And here's the target. We have to get to a hundred. Let's get to a hundred before the other guys or, you know, or we lose our spot on the court and somebody else gets to play. I mean, that was, that was, that's what you used to get for winning the game on, on the playground. You know, the, the Hamilton Fraser Valley game, more than any game that we worked on together last year is the one that, that sticks in my mind because I thought Hamilton had that game won yes. and they were going to go to the final and they were going to play Edmonton. And I thought that would have been a, a really good final. And I was surprised to see Hamilton make those mistakes because I particularly like their young coach, Ryan Schmidt, who you, you brought his name up a couple times, Peter. Um, another coach in the league uh, that I know and really like is Charles Kissy of Guelph. Both these guys are out of the Raptors 905 system. Um, I believe Ryan is still an assistant coach there. Charles was an assistant coach uh, for several years, and he he was a – kind of a, a guest learning coach under Dwayne Casey um, in, in his years with the Toronto Raptors. Joe, I, I'd love to hear you talk about this caliber of young coach um, in the league and, and also, you know, maybe some of these general managers too. You know, some friends of mine, Javon Shepard, Andy Routens are running the Ottawa Blackjacks this year. And I just, I, I love to see it. And, and I'd love to hear you put into words you know, the, where these guys are in their careers with jobs like this? Well, I think every coach is important that you become a head coach. And the fact that the CBL is giving, like, we got three 905 coaches, Charles Dubay Brass in, in Ottawa was a former 905 coach, Charles Kissy, giving these guys opportunities uh, to become head coaches. You know, Victor Razzo, my son, was an assistant coach, an assistant coach, an assistant coach when I coached pro, and now he's a head coach and a GM. And I think Jermaine Small's a head coach. All the, Every coach needs experience because ultimately when you get to that next job, they're going to say, do you have any head coaching experience? We're offering that to them, and we're doing a great job of offering that to them. And I think this that's important. And I think what will happen is, like, you know, you used, we talked the Hamilton situation. Ryan Schmidt knows Elam ending now better than anyone because he went through it. He went through it, and he knows what you know what you have to coach against and what you have to be weary against. That won't happen again, I, I'm sure, this year in that situation because he'll he'll spend more time on Elam ending. But I think all these coaches we're giving them an opportunity, and they are now getting an opportunity to coach a professional team, professional rosters. These aren't university players anymore; these are pros. And it sets you up for the next level if you want to get to, and they have lots of them all have NBA aspirations, um, dealing, and you want to deal with the best athletes, and you can hang your hat on it. You know, the fact that, you know, you've helped develop some of these players as they move on to the next level, that's really important. And it tests your general manager's cap because everybody's a GM. Everybody likes to play GM. But we've got a few coaches that are both coaches and GM, which are very, which is a, a difficult task. 
But now more of the new model is we have GMs and coaches who are coaching what the GMs give them. And as a coach, I find that a lot better, a lot more comfortable, a lot easier. I think it's harder when you have to develop the team and you have to be the coach. And we've we've got a few of those in the league. But I think that down the road we're going to see more guys like Javon come in as just the GM and a situation where Charles Dubé is, is the assistant coach. Uh, in Hamilton, we've got that situation with Jermaine Anderson and Ryan. I think you know, Ryan Schmidt has just worry about coaching, and Jermaine has to worry about putting the talent on the floor. And I think that's what the pro level is all about. That's the difference between the pro level and the college level. Yeah, and, and Charles Kissy mentioned this uh, last year to me that he, he he just enjoys coaching pros. I mean, he liked coaching U sport, but uh, it's it's a. Uh, it, he said the first time that he, he, you know, around pro players where he's the head coach where he goes, okay, I got to really step up my game because their knowledge uh, of, of the pro game is so good. I, I've got to be, you know, on point as well. And he said it's it's a challenge uh, for him that he, he really, really enjoys and, and he cherishes. Well, it'll be uh, amazing to see what, what these guys get up to and, and how successful the league becomes in its in its third season. Uh, looking forward to seeing Peter and Joe call the game starting this Saturday, June 26th, Hamilton Honey Badgers at Edmonton Stingers, 4 p.m. Eastern on CBC. Uh, these guys are going to kill it. And before I let them go, the one thing that we do have to bring up is this looming FIBA Olympic qualifier in Victoria. You know, Peter, you, you will be during the Olympics calling 3x3 basketball. Um, congratulations, by the way. That's amazing. Oh, thanks. Un- unfortunately, our Canadian teams did no. not qualify this time around. Um, I was really sorry to see that, but I think the 3x3 program is only going to grow in Canada, even without an Olympic cycle right now. Um, but Canada's got one last shot to get that men's team into the Olympics. And there isn't anybody in this country who isn't hoping that that happens. Who are the tough teams there? You have Greece, China, Uruguay, Czech Republic, and Turkey. Um, A couple of those teams sound and traditionally have been tougher. Greece might not be as hard to beat because, you know, Antetokounmpo, at least Giannis Antetokounmpo, very likely won't be there. He's a little bit busy right now. <laughs> Let's start with you. What what are you looking for? What do you expect to see in this FIBA event in Victoria? Well, those two teams, even though Anna Nakupo um, is not going to play, the the two brothers are not going to play. Uh, that Greek team is a veteran team, you know. And uh, same thing with the. I don't think the Turkish team is, uh, from what I understand, is. Uh, is as good as what people thought they would, but they're still veteran players and they know the FIBA rules very well. And those are the two teams that I, I, I'm concerned about, um, you know, when Canada plays them, especially the Greeks, you know, they're, they're, they're a veteran team. And um, yeah, so those are the two teams. If they, you know, if, if they're on point in those two games, they, they got a chance, but those are the big games. Joe, what are you looking forward to in that Man. I'm looking for a little payback against the Greeks on day one because we, I was in 94 in Maple Leaf Gardens when uh, we wow. lost a big, big game uh, to the Greeks in a packed house where we had a lot of Greek fans. But 
Peter, I'm going to differ than you. I'm going to say that to get to the championships, Canada is not only going to be Greece and pool play, but I think the next two best, I think the top two teams that they have to compete against will be Turkey and Czech Republic. Turkey has uh, Furkan Kormaz now back from the 76ers. 76ers Teddy Osman, right. right? Omar Yutsen from Miami. Uh, I don't know about the Ilyasova situation. Shane Larkin. FS1, the Euro Cup championship. They had a great, great run in the World Cup, World Cup in, in China and should have beat a U.S. team that had Jalen Brown and Tatum and Mitchell uh, and Kemba Walker. They should have won that game. They, they just fell apart at the very end. So I think they're really good. And Czech Republic with Sadoransky and Jan Vili are loaded up front. They are a big physical team. And Thomas Sadoransky might be one of the best examples of an NBA guard who just will dominate the FIBA game. So I, I think, you know, we, we, we were thinking Greece because of the, uh, I think of the Antetokounmpo brothers, but from my vision of seeing these teams play, I'm thinking that my concern would be Turkey, Czech Republic, Greece, then China um, in that order. Um, and Uruguay, Ruben Magnano, who won the gold medal with Argentina and coached Brazil, is now the master coach at Uruguay. So they've got some coaching. They may not have all the parts and the depth. But they'll give somebody a game. But I, I'm really looking forward to especially like the Turkey and the Czech game. Interesting. And, and when you think of basketball, you just don't think of the Czech Republic as a power. But you just you just laid it out there, Joe. This is this is almost a, a mini group of death. There's a lot of good teams there and a lot of teams that they're everyone is there to win. Everybody wants to go to the Olympics. Not one of these six countries thinks that they don't belong there. And it, it's not going to be a cakewalk by any stretch of the imagination for Canada or for anybody um, Peter Rutgazer, Joe Rasso, I am so grateful that you joined me today uh, to talk basketball. There was so much to cover. We didn't even get to the, the NBA draft lottery where the Detroit Pistons ended up with the number one pick. Um, some draft boards have Jalen Suggs falling to number four and the Toronto Raptors, which I think would trigger a quick rebuild of that team and almost uh, – Man, they could, they could be right back in it. I don't understand how Suggs could not be the first or second pick in the draft, but that's that's for bigger experts uh, than me to, to determine. Peter and Joe, thank you so much for being here today, and I will see you in Edmonton on, uh, on the weekend. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Thanks a lot, us. Dan. Nice to see uh, you, Joe. Good. See you Saturday. This wraps up uh, the episode of Jim Rats and Joints. Jim Rats and Joints is written and hosted by yours truly, Dan Gladman, and produced by the amazing Dan Wong. Thanks, Wonger. Shout out to you. Thanks to Eggplant Studios. We hope to be doing the show from there very soon. Uh, you can follow Joe Razzo on Twitter, at Coach Razzo. You can follow Peter Rutgazer, at Pete Rutgazer. Uh, Dan Wong, our producer, is on social media, at Dan Wong Says. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram, at DG on the road. Jim Rats and Joints is on Twitter at Jim Rats Podcast. Follow us, engage, tell your friends, rate and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thank you so much for listening. And I'll be back uh, maybe in a week or so 
from Victoria, British Columbia. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 